Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. As a young lad, all I ever wanted to be was a farmer. And so when I went to school, you mightn't believe this, but I actually did pretty well at school. And my plan was always, I'd just go until grade 10, and then I'd go to ag college for a couple of years, and then go back to the family farm. And several teachers tried to talk me out of this. You know, well, you should go and be a doctor or a lawyer or something. But the thing is, all I ever wanted to be was a farmer. I was wired that way. I still am wired that way. I, I love the rural life. I love agriculture. And I love the variety of it all. Making stuff, fixing stuff, operating machinery, physical work, working with livestock, doing a bit of shearing and a bit of crutching, managing the farm plan to work with the season that you've been dealt, and the practical practicalities of being able to just tie it up with a cob and coke twitch to keep the show on the road. Everything about farm life I loved. Um, and I, I couldn't think of anything else that would give me that sort of sas satisfaction. And so that's what I did. After grade 10, I did go to ag college. I was there for two years. And then I came home to Tanombi, which was the family farm. And life was pretty much exactly as I planned it. Well, for about four and a half years. And then my whole world and all my plans just fell apart. Because um, at that time, a real estate agent knocked on the door and said to mum and dad, would you consider selling your farm? And I don't think they had talked about it before then. I, I don't think it had entered their minds. Um, but within a few months, it was gone. And I felt like my whole world and my whole planned life had been ripped out from under me. Uh, there was no way I could afford to buy my own farm. I'd, I'd been working on on station hand award wages, uh, the minimum wage pretty much. Uh, and at this stage, you know, it's hard to believe because at, at the moment interest rates are almost zero. Um, but back then interest rates were, depending on how much capital behind you had behind you, the interest rates were somewhere from 18 to 22%. And given that I didn't have any capital behind me, I would have been paying 21, 22%. And there's no way I could afford to buy a farm. So I had to give up my dream. And unless in some way you, you understand the connection that a farm boy has with the land, then you're not going to understand the, the pain that I went through. I, I wept a lot of tears. Uh, I put on a brave face and I continued on, but I was broken. Uh, by the way, my mum's probably listening to this. Mum listens to my messages. Mum, it's not your fault. Um, this is something that God did. Uh, but it was one of the worst times in my life. 
there have been other times which were just as bad, but, but for me, that is one of those crushing times. Now, hindsight is a wonderful thing because I can now see that that crushing time for me has served to advance the gospel. It took a while, but eventually it happened. Uh, and, and sometimes some of the most painful experiences that we go through and endure, we, we, we're always searching for a reason. And we cry out in those times of our distress and to, to be relieved of that distress. And we plead for them to be taken away. And for some people, they view any time of distress as something which, well, that God's role is to rescue us from these times of distress so that we can be all prosperous again. And they have the attitude that, that if only we had enough faith, then we wouldn't have to suffer any of this. Well, apparently the Apostle Paul didn't get that memo. Today, Paul shows us how times of distress are often opportunities and the means by which God advances the gospel. And I'm pretty sure that if my mum and dad didn't sell that farm all those years ago, I'd probably still be on Tanombi now, and I'd like to think that I would be a successful farmer um, and maybe bought some neighbouring farms or something. But regardless of that, I'm pretty sure that if, if that had happened, then for the last 15 or 16 years, I... I probably wouldn't have been preaching the gospel almost every week. And God willing, uh, will be for the foreseeable future. Paul said to the Philippian church, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What had happened to Paul? Well, he was in prison. And he was in prison for the sake of Jesus. And I don't think what Paul is saying here is a case of, of trying to find the silver lining in every cloud. You know how some people, that they always have that need to try and find the good because oh, they're just, there has to be a reason for the bad, doesn't there? And because bad just doesn't make sense to them. Well, the thing is, we won't always find the reason for the good. In hindsight, we can see that this was God's plan. Uh, Paul's imprisonment did serve to advance the gospel. And even Paul identified a couple of ways that he could see the gospel being advanced through his imprisonment. But he had no idea just to the extent that the gospel would be advanced through his time in prison and, um, and the way that it's advanced the gospel throughout the centuries and throughout the millennia. So what could Paul see? Well, being in prison, he was guarded by the imperial guard, the Roman soldiers. And of course, those soldiers saw Paul as their captive. But in Paul's view, he had them as a captive audience. As the imperial guard were rostered in and out of guard duty, he had lots of different people to share the gospel with. And, and these people could very quickly see the conviction that Paul had in the truth of the gospel. Right? Paul was demonstrating the difference between a preference and a conviction. A preference is something that we might do provided that the, there isn't too many negative consequences and then if there starts to be negative consequences, oh well, we'll do something else instead. Whereas a conviction is something that we die for. A conviction is something that you'd go to prison for and Paul did. 
And Paul had a conviction in the truth of the gospel and in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with a conviction like what Paul had, nothing would deter him from, from his mission that he had in Christ Jesus. So, what's the gospel for you and I? Is it merely a preference? Or is it a conviction? Is the Lord Jesus Christ someone you'd go to jail for? Is the Lord Jesus Christ someone you would die for? If you stood before a firing squad and you were told to denounce Jesus or you and your whole family would be slaughtered, would you denounce Jesus? Or would you stand strong? Or would you try and take the another way out and, and, and justify in your mind, well... Jesus knows I believe in him in my heart, so if I just say that I denounce Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will know that I'm not really denouncing him, won't he? Well, my friends, that's the difference between a preference and a conviction. Jesus calls disciples of conviction. He couldn't have been clearer. He said in Matthew chapter 10, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is a picture of discipleship with conviction. And a people of conviction are the very best witnesses to the truth of the gospel. In prison... Paul had become a picture of discipleship as Jesus described it. And imagine if you were one of the imperial guard. And imagine if it was your duty to guard the Apostle Paul for hours and hours on end. It's a, it's a wonder that the whole imperial guard didn't all become disciples of Jesus. Imagine if, if you're able to, if, if you had to spend the time, that much time, with probably the greatest preacher this world has ever known. They didn't only hear what Paul preached, though. They saw the conviction which he lived. The second observation Paul made was the way his imprisonment emboldened other disciples of Jesus. Now, if a Christian leader folds under pressure, so will many in the church. But when a disciple of Jesus remains strong and firm and sure in their faith and conviction, and when they endure through every persecution and every hardship and, and, and do not lose their faith and they do not deny Jesus, this inspires other followers of Jesus to do the same. Paul noticed this. He said, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, do you remember, oh, some of you won't remember because some of you have only just started re listening to this recently, but um, some of you will remember when Ting Ting shared her story with us last year about being a Christian in China and what's that like and how she came to faith. Now, didn't that increase our faith? And didn't that increase our boldness for the gospel, at least for a little while? Didn't we say to ourselves, wow, these people risk a lot to follow Jesus and we just take everything for granted. 
and especially the leaders in the church, especially the pastors of the church, um, those ones who 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 do evangelism and take the gospel out into the world, and and when they preach the gospel and and when they baptize people into the name of Jesus, they're they're putting their lives at risk. They could very easily be thrown into jail for doing things like this. And here we are. We're a bit scared to be embarrassed. We don't want to share the gospel with somebody just in case we might get a bit tongue-tied when we, when we tell them what we believe. Or we, we don't want them to be embarrassed. Well, well, when I start telling them about the gospel, they might think that I'm belittling them and, and so we feel that they might get embarrassed and then we get scared of embarrassing somebody. My goodness. But when Ting Ting spoke, didn't she put all of that into perspective for us? Weren't we emboldened? And realize, well, if the persecuted church are willing to go for prison, go to prison for preaching the gospel, well, maybe we should just jolly well get over being a little bit embarrassed and stop being afraid for no good reason. Now, when I read this, I just, I just marvel. It isn't God wonderful that those who sought to stifle the gospel. All right, and to do this, they, they put Paul in prison to try and not only stop to stop him, but to try and deter other disciples of Jesus from preaching the gospel. But it just completely backfired on them. It gave other disciples of Jesus the confidence to speak the word without fear. And next week, when we study verses 19 to 30, we're going to talk about why they had no fear. But that, that comes next week. So, Paul could see how his imprisonment served to advance the gospel. But what he couldn't see is how it would continue to advance the gospel today. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all of these letters Paul wrote while he was in prison. And he had plenty of time on his hands and he had churches to communicate with and so he wrote letters. And the letters that Paul wrote were filled with the gospel good news. They were filled with theology, filled with teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we still have these letters today in our Bibles. And that happened because he was in prison. Righto. Now for a lot of us, it's, it's a pretty big step for us to, to begin to understand how bad can work for good. It's a really big step of faith to start to understand verses like what we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All right, so we're going to a different letter that Paul wrote now to the church in Rome. And to that church, and this is before his time of writing the letter to Philippi, I think. But he said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All right, that's a pretty big step of faith, that when things are going pretty bad, we, we have faith that all things, even these bad things, are going to work together for the good of me. And sometimes people try to clutch at straws so that they can know what those good things are. Right? They, they, they feel, I've got to have the answer to this. I, I, I can't handle all these bad things happening, but if I know what the good thing that's going to come out of all those bad things are, uh, is, then, then I can handle it. And so I need to discover this wonderful thing that's going to happen to me. So, for instance, somebody might say, well, my house burnt down and it was a terrible time. 
But the insurance, well, they built me a brand new house and it was a much better house than the old one. It was brand spanking new and I'm better off now than before my house burnt down. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, that's a bit of a silly example. But you, do you get the point of, that I'm making? We tend to look for some kind of personal benefit. Um, and usually along the lines of a financial benefit or a physical benefit or, or personal advancement or something that makes our family better off or whatever, something that advances our well-being. And we're looking for this to justify all of the hardship that we've been through. We've had physical hardship, therefore we've got to get some kind of physical blessing to make up for it. But Paul's situation here stretches us, and it stretches us to understand what we read in Romans in a whole new way. Right? So in Romans it said that, you know, that we know that for those who love God, who, who loves God, put up your hand if you love God. You didn't put up your hand, didn't you? Do you love God? Or put up your hand. I know I'm talking to a camera, but come on, let's get involved here. Do you love God? Put up your hand. Okay. So for those who love God, God, for us who have just put up our hands, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. What good? Whose purpose? Well, it's for the good of the gospel. Whose purpose? It's for the purpose of God. All right? This takes us to a whole new level of faith. We need to get out of that our mindset of our temporal, earthly way of thinking. Um, now, temporal is a word that I use sometimes, and some of you might not know what it means. Temporal simply means, think of temporary, okay? So things that are temporary, temporal things... Um, Things that will pass away, things are not that are not of eternal significance, and so we need to get away from thinking of those sorts of things, and tend to fix our minds on things that are eternal. And when we are in Christ, and when we are united with Christ, if if we are truly united with Christ, then we are united with Him in our perspective in having an eternal perspective. And so what is good for Jesus Christ and what is good for the gospel is good for me. And it's good for you. Even if it means we go to jail for our faith. Even if it means we die for our faith. If it is good for the gospel, the things that happen along the way, then it's good for us. Uh, we need to open up our eyes to the things of God instead of getting all caught up in the temporal stuff. And, and with an eternal perspective, what's good for Christ is good for the gospel and it's good for us. And when we realise this, and we start thinking about the way that we used to look at things and, and we, the way that we used to value things of, that, that weren't of eternal significance... It just makes us realise just how hollow we've been. Tell me, what? why do so many Christians make such a big deal about having faith for things that are going to pass away? Why do we make such a big deal out of 
out of having faith to, to get this or having faith to get that or having faith to have a new better job or having faith to get more money or having faith to get a new car or having faith to have physical healing. Why do we get so carried away with having faith in these things instead of fixing our eyes on the things that are unseen and instead of fixing our eyes on the things that are of eternal significance? I heard a message being given the other day and I just, it made me really sad. The message was along the lines of, you know, we have to believe in the things that are unseen and that's what faith is, believing in the things that are unseen. And then it started listing things that are unseen as, well, it, it's the thing that you've been praying for but you haven't got yet. It's that job that you've been praying for but you haven't got yet or or it's that thing that you've been praying for but you haven't got yet. And and, and the whole message was fix it, fixating on things that are going to pass away. And that's not, not at all what those scriptures are about. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These are the things of God. Things of great spiritual, eternal significance. That's what we should be striving for. Okay, so, in his imprisonment, Paul could see the good happening, uh, the gospel was being preached. But although it was good what, what was happening, there was a little bit of a glitch in there. You see, the thing is, not everybody who preaches the gospel does so with good motives. And I think we'd all agree with that. There are some who are in it for their own glory, or they're in it for making money, or they're in it for the power or the prestige, or they're in it for the influence, or they're in it for the acclaim. But what I really struggle with is even though some people are preaching the gospel with wrong motivations, Paul's rejoicing about it. Uh, he says because at least the gospel's getting preached. Now, the, the motives mightn't be good, but at least they're preaching the gospel. Now, I had to chew over that for quite a while. I Actually, quite a, quite a while. He said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So I read over that many times and the more I did, the more I realised the masterful way that Paul was able to both encourage and, and give a warning at the same time. So let me explain that. Some people... Let's call these ones the goodies. Right? So the goodies were preaching the gospel out of love. Uh, out of love for what? Out of love for Paul? Probably. But probably more so out of their love for Jesus Christ and out of their love for the gospel. Uh, these ones are the ones who knew that Paul was in prison for his defence of the gospel. The goodies realised that Paul's imprisonment was a mark of God's approval on Paul uh, because Jesus had told us that his disciples would be thrown in jail and Paul's been thrown in jail. Tick. Okay. Yep, that's an evidence. 
But the baddies, well, they were preaching out of envy. They were preaching out of rivalry and selfish ambition, insincerity. Uh, They were masking their, their true motivations. So with Paul locked up, others saw it as an opportunity for them to build their own kingdom or to build their own profile within the church. They saw an opportunity to to step in and to take on those positions of authority that Paul wasn't able to nail down. And back when we studied 2 Corinthians, we could see a fair bit of that happening with the church in Corinth. And and Paul may have had the church in Corinth in mind when he said these things. I don't know. Um, But we could... We could see when we studied the church, that letter to the church in Corinth, we could see how the false apostles there had moved in and tried to take over the church and how they were telling people that, you know, because Paul's being persecuted in the places where he's at, well, that's obviously a sign that he's not, not, not in good with God because God wouldn't let that happen. Um, and they were quite vindictive toward Paul. We can see that here. They... They wanted, Paul says, they wanted to afflict him in his imprisonment. Now, how would they be inflicting Paul? He's already in jail. Well, I think somehow they wanted to cause Paul some distress at their rise in popularity uh, through usurping Paul's position of leadership. All right, so the goodies were emboldened to preach because Paul's conviction inspired them. Uh, And the baddies were emboldened to preach because they used their preaching as a mask or as an excuse to achieve their own selfish ends. So, I mean, we've got to face this. Some preachers have an almost celebrity status in their own congregations. Um, And some have it within church. Well, I've seen... I've seen the way that some people interact with with senior pastors in in, uh, some megachurches and... I don't know. I didn't know whether to laugh or, or be, feel all squeamish. It was just sad the way they fawned over them. But some pastors have a celebrity status, and and think about people in church world. You know, um, you know, people who are well known uh, pastors and and known worldwide. Some people uh, really look to them with their celebrity status. Uh, they want to be photographed with them, want to get their signature, want to be able to drop their name, or when I was talking to so-and-so. But, and, and for some people, they really crave celebrity status, uh, and some really seek it. Uh, if, if you want that, uh, don't be a pastor in Bush Disciples, you won't get it. Um, but the thing that really gets me here is Paul's attitude, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, I've got to confess, Paul's a much bigger man than what I am. I find it hard to rejoice when through wrong motives the gospel is preached and a church grows. Um, and that probably says a lot that's not very good about me. But I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen over and over again. Where a man's ambition or the ambition of a church group is to to build a large image of success by building the biggest, flashiest church that that, that they can manage. And and yet in the preaching, and sometimes the preaching that gets put out there is, 
not a very good representation of the gospel. And yet sometimes in that preaching, some turn to Jesus. Now, for some, uh, they may have fallen for an empty, truthless, self-centered sort of a gospel, which isn't the gospel at all, and so they're not saved. Uh, but for others, it might have been real. For others, it has been real. And they've truly found salvation in Jesus Christ. So what do we learn from this? Well, this is why I reckon it was quite masterful the way that Paul did this here. Um, th there is a message here for, for people like me who have concerns about the way the gospel is being preached out of wrong motives. But there's also a message here for those who have come to know Christ through exactly that sort of preaching. Uh, whether a true gospel is preached or whether a false gospel is preached, when a person discerns the true gospel through the word of God and the Holy Spirit does his work in their heart, their response isn't a response to man. When your heart is responding to the word of God, your response is to God. And you're turning to God. You're not turning to a preacher. You're not turning to a, pre to a church. You're turning to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Um, on one of the major inland highways in New South Wales, I'm not exactly sure where it is. I was trying to remember what town it's at. It might be Dubbo or Coonabarabran or Narrabri or Gunnedah. And for anyone who lives down that way at this stage, you go, those places are nowhere near each other. Well, they are for a Queenslander. Okay, so when I've travelled down that highway, I've seen a billboard uh, with a picture of somebody with matchsticks in their eyes, holding their eyes open. And the message is, is some, says something about driving tired or needing to stop for a rest or needing to stop for sleep or something. And what it is, it's, it's a message, it's an ad for a motel in the town that you're about to come into. Now, the, the motivation of, of that very clever advertising, well, it's entirely self-serving, isn't it? Um, you're tired, well, come and stay at our motel and, and we'll look after you. But even though its motivation is entirely self-serving, I, I find myself wondering, I wonder how many people have seen that sign and gone, yeah, I'm really tired. And maybe I should stop and have a bit of a camp before I go for the next five-hour leg of my trip. And I wonder how many li lives it might have saved through that. Selfish motives, but it could have a good outcome for others. Now, let's bring this back to the gospel. Regardless of the motivation of the preacher, and sometimes regardless of the appalling version of the gospel that's getting preached, sometimes people have a very real conversion experience to Jesus Christ. And we can't do anything other than rejoice, can we? Just like Paul did. He rejoiced that the gospel was being preached. Now, do we rejoice in a false gospel? No, not at all, because that just misleads people. Do we affirm and support preaching with insincere motives? No, not at all. Let's, let's not encourage that. But we certainly do rejoice when, when despite that happening, um, someone gives their heart to Jesus, and that's something to rejoice about.
Now, for those of us who preach, uh, this pushes us to consider, what's my motivation for preaching? And when I say those who preach, don't turn off. We should all be preaching. Because when I'm talking about preaching, I'm talking about sharing the word, sharing the gospel. We should all be sharing our faith with other people. But what's our motivation for doing this? Are we motivated by love? Are we motivated by our love for Jesus and our love for the gospel and our love for those who who are lost and need to be saved? Or for us, is it more of a self-serving thing and it's more about satisfying our own image or our own vain glory or looking for a bit of a claim? Or is it something to increase our own self-worth? So as preachers, as sharers of the gospel, as, as people who love Jesus, let's always question our motives and search our hearts and make sure that we're not doing stuff, <laughs> saying that it's for Jesus, and but really being out of selfish motivation. But it also pushes those of us who don't preach uh, to consider something else. Be glad when we hear the gospel being preached, but be careful which horse we hitch our cart to. Do you hear what I'm saying? Be glad when we hear the gospel being preached, but be careful which horse we hitch our cart to. You know, I I don't really want to be listening to somebody who's preaching from selfish motivation, uh, looking to satisfy his own ends. I don't want to be sitting under the teaching of, of somebody who's just, whose main motivation is trying to build his own importance. All right? to, to those who believe, we follow Christ. We are disciples of Jesus. We're not disciples of a man. And you might be listening to this today and thinking, well, I have to support this pastor because I heard his preaching and it was through his preaching that, that, I, that I gave my heart to Jesus. But maybe over the years you've realised, actually, I'm actually not sure about the motivation. I'm not too sure about the content. I know I love Jesus. And I want to encourage you, just be careful which horse you hitch your cart to. Don't just blindly follow because that's the person that you heard the gospel from. And we shouldn't be following a person. We shouldn't be following a man. Do not ever follow me, any of you. We follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes, uh, probably because uh, I've been in St George for a while now and my name, a lot of people know me in the community, uh, but Bush Disciples, our church, is not very well known at all. We, we don't have a building, and that's what most people identify with the church. And they might ask you, well, what church do you go to? And you go, oh, I go to Bush Disciples. What's that church? And you might say, oh, that's Michael's church. Ah, okay. Well, don't ever say that. Please don't ever say that. It's not Michael's church. Because a church, you are the church, and you're not mine. You belong to Jesus Christ, just as I belong to Jesus Christ. And you don't follow me, you follow Jesus Christ, just like I follow Jesus Christ. And so this is something we do together.
We are church together. Um, we belong to Jesus together. And we follow Jesus together. You don't follow me. And let me tell you, being hitched to Jesus, that's the most wonderful thing. Hitch your cart to Jesus. Because Jesus will take you places that I can never take you. He'll increase your faith in ways that I'll never increase your faith. And um, your experience of, of his presence with you is going to be the greatest thing in, in your whole life. And he'll be with you through the tough times and the good times. And being part of, 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 of Christ himself as we have this eternal perspective, um, what is good for the gospel is good for us, even if it costs us physically. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you bring into being and you rule your church. Lord, we give you thanks that your gospel has been preached and that we have heard it. Some of us have responded to the gospel as it was preached with love and sincerity. Some of us have responded to your word even though when it was preached it, it was with questionable motives. But Lord, we want to thank you that in your grace you took your word and you made it powerful in our hearts. Whether it came from good motives or bad motives, you did the work in our hearts that we would repent of sin, turn to you and become your children. Lord, give us wisdom to follow you and to be witnesses for you with the pure motivation of love. Lord, may we in this church never be motivated by insincerity, but by love. And Lord, we pray for the persecuted church. We pray for all those who are imprisoned for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. Lord, keep them strong that they would never, ever deny you. And Lord, by their conviction and by their obedience to you, may we be emboldened. May we be emboldened to speak your word without fear. And Lord, strengthen us so that if or when the time comes that we too uh, would stand strong for your holy name. Lord, that we would be disciples of conviction in every day of our lives, that we would follow you no matter what never denying you, always standing strong, never turning down an opportunity to share your word with another. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.